he's made this clear to the players that they need to be working very hard. There are going to be players coming in the pipeline that are going to be taking their jobs. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday the 13th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. I'm joined as always by producer JT. JT, we've got a mammoth of a show today that we're going to try our best to keep in as condensed a format as possible. How are you, my man? I'm good. I was about to say, it feels like almost an eternity with how much has gone on this week since we've done a show. So I'm excited to dive into everything that's happened and kind of look forward to what the Titans are going to do next. This was the first week that it felt like if we were a daily show, we easily, without really having to scramble or come up with creative topics, could have filled an hour show each and every day this week just with how much was going on no, totally. um, on, a, on a personal note, just to start the show a little, a little uh, sampler appetizer to the show that has nothing to do with the Titans. I just need to get this off my chest. Um, I started working out again for the first time since like last, really since the football season started, just with how busy I was through the football season, I didn't have a chance to work out a whole lot. And I've me and my wife have started to working out again this week. And I, I've used this app, um, that it, there's a million workout apps out there, but I really love this one. Fitbot is what it's called. And you get a subscription and it tailors specific workouts to you each day. I, I love it because it's mindless and it allows you to like, I don't like to have to think about what should I do today? You know, what muscles do I need to give a break? What muscle groups should I target? Um, and what, you know, what, how do I vary the exercises? I'm the kind of person JT that, um, I'll eat like the same lunch every single day, not because I'm a picky eater or because I love to have the same thing over and over, but just because I prefer to have parts of my routine, as many things in my daily routine as I can that I don't have to think about so that I can focus on thinking on other things. And when it can just be a mindless thing, I love that. And that's what this app is allowing me to do. Um, and so it, it does a good job of like planning out my workouts for the week targeting different muscle groups and, and all of these different things that keep me fresh. But because it's very targeted workouts, um, it's like one or two muscle groups a day that I'm just hammering. And because it's my first time back from working out, I woke up after my first workout again in like six months on Tuesday morning and felt like I could not get out of bed. I was like, this is how football players must feel the day after after a game this is a nightmare and i feel old and out of shape and it was embarrassing um it's just like yeah you know i don't need the function of my limbs anymore um but it also it also tracks it gives you this visualization in this app of like what percentage um your your different muscle groups are like you know 100 percent being fresh and ready to go um and yesterday i i did a ton of leg work i did a ton of quad stuff like weighted weighted dips and weighted um, lunges and did a run and all of these different things that killed my quads and my quads are currently at 19% per the app. So I literally can't walk up and down stairs or stand up and down. I feel like a actual cripple. I leg think that 19% is like, say what? I said leg day will do that to you for sure. I, well, especially your first leg day in a long time and you're out of shape, but yeah, I feel like it's giving me like 18% too many, uh, points there i think that it's giving me too much credit my feel if my body was a car right now my my quad 
warning light would be flashing red and alarms <laughs> would be going off. I'd need to go see my dealer immediately. So that's you'll, where we're at. Uh, I, you'll at least be ready for soccer next week, right? When exactly. We, we, yeah. Exactly. Another another side note. I'm uh, JT and I and uh, some of our friends here in Nashville doing a doing a co-ed rec soccer league this winter just for fun. I've I've played almost every organized sport um, throughout my childhood and into my adulthood, but I've never played soccer um, or organized soccer. I've played soccer just for fun, but I'm going to suck and it's going to be amazing. I might be in shape for it, but we'll see how talented I am. I, it might be a nightmare. I'm sure we're going to talk about it on the show because there's probably going to be some some funny anecdotes. But like I said, a ton to talk about today. So enough of enough of our non-football banter. Let's get into all of the things we're going through today. Just off the top, we've got I've got a number of different takes from the week that I that I'm going to start here at the top of the show in, in the monologue and then we're going to get into a massive Titans news segment break down all of the details from this week's transactions and rumors and reports. Then we've got James Foster on a James Foster Friday of No Flags Film and A to Z Film Room. He'll be here with us. And we've also got two segments to end the show today. The Best Bet Gauntlet playoff style. That's happening today. We we put a, a end cap on the regular season competition. I won by a game and a half. But we are going to keep betting throughout the playoffs because we've gotten some good response from you guys. And we, frankly, even if everybody hated it and turned off the show at the Best Bet Gauntlet each week, we'd probably still record it just for ourselves because we love betting that much and uh, we love to win money. So we'll be doing that. And then producer JT has put together a hot read heat index. This is either the third or fourth time we've done this segment and we love it. We're going to keep it going. He's got some of the best... Yeah, best is a strong word. Some of the hottest takes from this week on the internet that we collected on Twitter that I'm going to give a hot read heat index rating um, on, on how hot or cold they may be. So that's what the end of the show is going to be. Ton of stuff to get through. Let's start here at the top with this. I, I want to talk about, you know, it's even though the NFL playoffs haven't even begun, we are already into, for those teams like the Titans that are no longer playing this year, we've already gotten into the internet fan base discussions surrounding trade talks and offseason player acquisitions, free agency, moving around in the draft. All of that stuff is happening, and it's already happening seemingly at full force. Off the top, here's a PSA for all of you mock drafters and hypothetical trade creators out there. I just need to get this out into the world. I put this take out on Twitter a couple of days ago, but it's important that I reiterate. Please, please, please stop creating these mock trade scenarios where you are offloading bad or expensive or old Titans players as a part of your blockbuster trade. You are you're living in la la land if you think that teams are going to be dealing draft picks or players or whatever it may be for Taylor Lewan or Bud Dupree or Robert Woods. Like it's it's very convenient for you to make those trades. And I listen, I understand that when you are in the PFF mock draft simulator, it allows you to get away with these trades, offloading some of these bad guys that you don't want or that you think the team is already going to get rid of anyways for draft capital. It allows you to get away with that, but the, the simulator is being dumb. So don't be dumb along with it and, and pretend that that's a thing that's going to happen. The rest of the teams in the league, their front offices have brains. They see, 
oh, this is a guy that this team is probably already going to get rid of or already doesn't want. We're not going to give you a third round pick for, you know, for Robert Woods. Like it's not happening. So, so stop doing that. Um, if you're going to make trades and put them out on the Internet, make them realistic. But we've had a couple of big names already in this first week of the offseason that have floated around teams that are, well, both in and out of the playoffs, but players on those teams that are being discussed as movers this offseason, guys that are likely to be or are definitely going to be on the move this offseason. The first big name is DeAndre Hopkins, and this is a guy that the Titans have played and known very well for years. He's a guy that's been owning the Titans secondary for years and years in his time in Houston and then with Arizona. It's been reported, I believe it was Jordan Schultz earlier this week, that the Cardinals do plan to try and trade their all-pro wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins this offseason. DeAndre Hopkins, for the record, has a two-year, 34-and-change million-dollar tag left on his contract, and he's likely to seek a new deal. He does, by the way, have a no-trade clause, so they can't just send him anywhere that he'd like. It's going to be up to the team and Hopkins to agree on a place for him to land if they do find a trade partner for him. It's also important to note that the Cardinals are another team like the Titans that don't have a GM right now. Their GM stepped down a couple of weeks ago due to health issues, but he also was going to get fired anyways. And so that's become a natural transition for him. And the Cardinals are looking for a new GM. I'd imagine that trade, if the DeAndre Hopkins trade does happen, probably won't happen anytime that soon because it's hard to trade a guy when you don't have somebody pulling the levers at the top of the front office. Just to break down the the money situation even further before I give you my take on whether the Titans should be interested or not, this is something that our our buddy, local cap guru, Zach Lyons over at Football and Other F-Words, pointed out on Twitter, his contract broken down by year, the next two years. In 2023, Hopkins is owed well not owed excuse me this is these are his cap hits so this is the the important financial information for the team that will be assuming his contract if there's a trade that's done in 2023 19.45 million dollars on the cap and in 2024 just 14.915 million dollars on the cap so he's the kind of guy that if there was a trade for him he would almost certainly get extended as soon as he met with that new team and i think that it's those numbers are attractive. Don't get me wrong. He's a guy that is a stud wide receiver in the league. He's been a stud wide receiver in the league. He's a great veteran presence. He's old and getting older and is an injury concern, which I'll talk more about in a second. But those numbers are really nice for a stud receiver. There's no denying that 19 and then $14 million against the cap is very, very doable, even for a team like the Titans that's pretty cap cash strapped right now the pushback on it is this if you last season and I know that was last season was John Robinson this season will be a new GM that's not been named yet so the philosophy change is going to be really what dictates if there's any interest here if you go one season from refusing to pay AJ Brown a young star receiver 25 million dollars a year and give him his first non-rookie contract in his career and then the next season decide to put 19 million dollars of your cap towards deandre hopkins another star receiver who's significantly older and on the back end of his career for sure how is how is that coming out in the wash how does that make any sense 
and on paper, it really doesn't, right? I don't think that that's a very wise decision decision to make at all. Another point is have the Titans not learned their lesson when it comes to trading for old receivers. I mean, the the easy comparison here is wouldn't DeAndre Hopkins trading for him, a, a former star, potentially still a star receiver in the league, north of 30, be very similar to doing the same thing that the Titans did do with Julio Jones just two years ago? And so that made me think. I went and I pulled up for the show the statistical comparison between Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins in their last season with their original team. I guess the Hopkins with Arizona and Julio Jones with Atlanta. So in Atlanta in his last year, Julio Jones played just nine of the 16 games. He had just shy of 800 yards, 15 yards per reception, three touchdowns, um, and uh, 11.3 yards per target. DeAndre Hopkins, on the other hand, in his last season with Arizona, he also only played nine games, but it's important to note he most all of the games that he missed this year, I believe every game besides the last game of the year, which didn't matter to the Cardinals, um, he missed that game due to injury, but he missed the first, what was it, 10 games, 12 games, whatever it was, um, due to suspension for uh, performance-enhancing drugs. He's a guy that I think is significantly healthier at this stage in his career than Julio Jones was in his final days in Atlanta and certainly in his days in Tennessee and then in, in Tampa Bay this year. But in his nine-game sample size this past season, Hopkins went for 717 yards, so a couple fewer than Jones. He had 11.2 yards per reception and three touchdowns. So very, very similar stat lines and and a uh, 7.5 yards per target, by the way. Very similar stat lines. I believe that Hopkins was targeted more, and that's why, yeah, he was targeted significantly more, almost double what Julio Jones was targeted in his final year in Atlanta. So really all that shows you is both of these guys at this same point in their career, north of 30, looking to leave their team and join somebody else, still seemingly got it when they're on the field. But the question is, how often are they on the field? The comparison really comes down to which guy do you think is healthier? And I think it's fair to say, again, at this point, DeAndre Hopkins is a healthier player than Julio Jones was coming out of Atlanta. I think that when you look at, and this is a good gauge whenever you're considering, would it be a good idea or a bad idea to move for this player? When you look at DeAndre Hopkins versus Julio Jones and the fan base that they're going to be leaving, when Julio was leaving Atlanta, the Atlanta fan base was saying, you know, not good riddance, but whoever gets him, good luck, don't pay him. He's a, He's been an injury concern for a long time now. You're probably not going to get much out of him. He's just not got it. His hamstrings are shot. With DeAndre Hopkins, the Arizona fan sentiment seems to be, hey, um, we would love for this guy to stick around. We don't think that he's going to, but he's still got it. He's still a stud and we would love to keep him with the Cardinals. Whoever gets him is going to be lucky and should pay him. So that's a pretty stark difference. I don't really, you know, I I'm, I'm a guy that is not afraid of having very strong opinions, JT, but as of right now, I don't really have a strong take on this. I, I think that, it's a risky proposition. And for a team like Tennessee that, again, just came off of the they're on the heels of a Julio Jones trade that was similar, that backfired on them tremendously. 
I don't know if you can go and get that guy and, you know, if it doesn't work out, not face the absolute wrath of this fan base and want people wanting to see heads roll for that decision. But at the same time, you just know that if they did it, the immediate reception from the fan base would be the same reception that they got with Julio Jones, that it's great move. We love it. Star player. We recognize this guy, great veteran presence, great guy to pair with Traylon Burks. And that's all true. And again, it really comes down to, and I, I, I felt this way with Julio Jones when they are on the field, Julio or Deandre Hopkins, they've still got it. They're still a very good receiver in the NFL. Deandre Hopkins, I think even more so than Julio Jones at this point, he's, he's still a, I think when he's healthy and on the field, he's a top five receiver in the NFL still. He's a stud. And I, I said this like on our first episode ever, by the way, JT. It was on the heels of the Cardinals coming to practice against the Titans in the preseason in August. And I got to see him practice there live. And it was like, whoa, man, DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to play the beginning of this season, but he has still got it. This guy's a stud. And um, I think that's still the case. But it is an injury concern, and I think that you got to be very, very careful if you make that move. I'll say this much for the Titans. This is the most definitive take I can give. If they go and get DeAndre Hopkins, I like the move. I think it's a, a risk, but a, a relatively informed risk. And listen, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta speak with your chest in the NFL. You gotta be bold. If you make scared moves, you know, scared money don't make no money. So I get it. But you have absolutely got to then focus on improving the depth of your receiving core because you have to be prepared for if Traylon or if DeAndre Hopkins can't go, can this team not fall apart in the receiving department like you've seen them do for the past two years when they've lost their top end guys? So those are my thoughts on Hopkins. I'm sure as this saga plays out with Hopkins, we'll we'll get to know more. I mean, again, there's so many things that tie him to Tennessee. He's got a great, very vocal highly reported relationship with Mike Vrabel. So there's always that element. You could see Vrabel convincing him to make Tennessee one of the teams that he approves to be traded to with the Cardinals. He's got a relationship with Derrick Henry. He he tweeted out a couple of years ago, a picture of Hopkins, Henry and Lamar Jackson, another guy we're about to talk about as a potential future Titans move. And he asked how many touchdowns would this trio score and people, including myself, have been digging that photo up and circulating it online this week. So that's a fascinating conversation. Let's talk then about Lamar Jackson, who falls much more on the bad idea side of the spectrum for my money in terms of guys the Titans could move on and get. Now, here off the top, I have to point out that and this is not a brand new take. You've seen it floating around the league for a couple of weeks, but I'm I'm buying into it now. I think Lamar Jackson may have played his last snap as a Raven. It looks like he, well, not looks like it is confirmed now as of Thursday afternoon, he won't be playing in their playoff game against the Bengals. It'll maybe be Tyler Huntley. Who's already banged up and hasn't practiced much this week. I know that he was limited today in practice. That's probably going to be an ugly game. I think the Bengals win that one relatively easily, but um, you know, if the, the Ravens don't pull up, pull off the upset in that game, it then becomes the question of we've kind of reached the point where the Ravens either need to tag Lamar Jackson or they need to shop him in trades. They've reached the point where his fifth year option, um, I believe can, can be activated and they can tag him two more times. I could be wrong about that fifth year option. JT, can you go and check to see if they've activated his option for me? Um, But nonetheless, they at the very least have the option to tag him two more times 
if they don't, they're going to want to shop him in trades. And that's going to look like for whatever team decides to get him or if the Ravens decide to try to pay him, which they've tried, by the way. And he's turned down the money because he's and Lamar's weird, by, by the way. And I've said, by the way, seven times. I'm sorry, but this is important. Lamar Jackson represents himself. His agent, I believe, is his uncle or his mother. It's a family member. He, he's got a strange representation situation, but uh, it 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 is something that's worth noting. It's not impossible to deal with that, but it does make things trickier because you don't have somebody who's experienced and well-versed in the NFL business side of things to be in his ear and tell him what he should and shouldn't do. He turned down a massive chunk of money that the Ravens offered him last off season because he saw Deshaun Watson's deal with the Browns. And it sounds like has essentially made that his floor that I need to be getting that money and specifically that amount of guaranteed money, which the Browns shattered the NFL record for, I believe it was what $240 million guaranteed yeah, or something around that. to Deshaun Watson. So yeah. that's what he's looking for. And if you're a team that were to trade for Lamar Jackson, your cap hit would be something like, and this is also, by the way, courtesy of our local cap guru, Zach Lyons, in 2023, almost $40 million. And then in 2024, through however long you, you contract him out for, four or five years, so maybe 2024 to 2027, something like 45 to $55 million each year. And those are just estimates. It could be significantly higher than that. All of that money fully guaranteed. It's going to break the bank and it's going to, if you're the Titans involve cutting even more than the folks you expect to be cutting for cap reasons, this upcoming off season, because they don't have the room for that. Um, and so I, I, it's a hard no for me. I, I've not been a huge fan of Lamar's as a quarterback, as a passer at all. I know that he's improved significantly from how he began his career, but I just don't think he's a great culture fit for Tennessee. I don't think it would be very good for the direction in terms of play style and culture in that way that I think the Titans may be headed in the future. And I think it's, again, just too big of an injury risk. This is a guy that hasn't been able to finish now two seasons in a row because he gets hurt. His his play style is just not that sustainable for a guy looking to play into his late 20s and early 30s at the quarterback position. So that's a ton, ton, ton of money. And this was spending. this was his uh, fifth year this year. So. OK, thank you. Yeah. So they would they would have to tag him two more times to keep him two more years unless they got a deal worked out with him. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm I'm lukewarm on DeAndre Hopkins in in, in summary. And I'm firmly out on Lamar Jackson. So there's that. And we'll, again, we'll have this discussion probably every episode, if not every other episode, JT for the next couple of weeks, as we get into the off season trade discussions, the narratives, the reports, the rumors, but let's move on here. And I want to talk about the Titans in 2023 and just how big I think some of these changes are that they're going to have coming their way. Just off the top, from a summary perspective, the 2023 Titans are going to have a guaranteed, they are guaranteed to have the following brand new pieces. Brand new GM, brand new offensive coordinator, brand new offensive line coach, brand new secondary coach, probably two to three new linemen, probably one to two new receivers, and maybe, maybe even a new quarterback. So, those are just off the top. That's not everything. Those are just the big ones. The point there is that the 2024, excuse me, 2023, 2024 Tennessee Titans, they may end up being a number of things. They may be a contender. They may be bad. They may be rebuilding. They, they may fall apart again. 
But one thing's for sure, they're going to look very different. And there's even more than just the the positions that need refilling, reloading that makes me think that. Mike Vrabel, in his season-ending, really, press conference this week, said a number of things that I think should make Titans fans pretty optimistic, pretty amped up for this offseason and to see what this team transitions into with the new GM, with Mike Vrabel, uh, probably having some more power, some more say over the team as he continues to have his stock rise and his power grow within the organization. There's going to be some philosophical changes when you get a new GM in there. This is just the the way that the NFL works and really the way that life works in general, JT. You see this with people who are in relationships. You, you, you see people when they're dating somebody and their boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with them or, or they break up with them, the relationship falls apart. Typically, you see that person go and oftentimes date somebody that is kind of a pendulum swing away from their previous partner. You know, if they were dating somebody that was pretty reserved, had blonde hair and was relatively quiet, you may see that person go and on a rebound swing towards somebody that's a fiery redhead that um, is an adventurer and vocal and is kind of the alpha in the relationship. That's the way that things work. When one relationship breaks down, you tend to swing the pendulum not back to center, but the other direction towards somebody a little bit off center in the other way. That's what we see all the time in the NFL with head coach openings and with GM openings. Whenever you see a guy like, let's take the Jaguars, for example, this may be the ultimate example in Urban Meyer, who's an alpha personality, pretty questionable in terms of his actions off the field, fiery, not a whole lot of experience in the NFL, but a wild card that you're taking a gamble on and has a ton of general football success in the past that relationship falls apart in the most dramatic way possible. So what do you see the Jaguars do? They go out, and in the following year, their head coach search involves finding a guy like Doug Peterson, who is not nearly the firecracker that that Urban Meyer was. He's more reserved. He has a lot of NFL experience. He's not you know, a crazy um, guy off the field in the ways that Urban Meyer was. He's a guy that instills confidence and success and is highly respected within the league. That is a polar opposite move. You see it with offensive, uh, not offensive coordinators. You see it with GMs as well. Whenever you see a team move off of a GM that was very draft heavy, they oftentimes go out and get a guy that is much more into building through free agency, building through trades and supplementing through the draft. Maybe a guy that doesn't value their draft capital nearly as much. There's always a swing back and forth, back and forth, because that's the natural human way to go about trying to instill change within your organization. All of that being said, that's a big reason why you are going to for sure see some serious philosophical and operational changes with this team this offseason and into next year. Mike Vrabel said in this press conference, by the way, he was asked what he wants to identify as a team as, and, and he brought up without really being prompted that he wants this team to be smart, fast, and physical. He said that we have to be a faster football team. Rarely are we the fastest team out there. That's something that Titans fans have been saying for a long time, and it's something that the Titans, from a team-building standpoint, have seemingly been zigging while the rest of the NFL zags on that front. You know, I, I tweeted this out this week that Mike Vrabel 
He's not this mouth-breathing football guy that some folks make him out to be. He's a really smart guy. He knows the shortcomings of this team. He's aware of them. He's not oblivious to some of these things that fans are often yelling at the clouds about. And sometimes he just actively decides to zig while the rest of the NFL zags. That's something that the Titans have been doing with John Robinson and Mike Rabel for the past couple of years. They've kind of thrown speed to the wind and they focused on being an off the bus team. And by off the bus team, I mean a, a team that when they get off the bus to play you, they are physically daunting. They are bigger than you. They are stronger than you. They are not faster than you. They've not been faster than pretty much anybody in the league for a couple of years now, but they have been the team that when they get off the bus, you realize this team just wants to bully us, make this game ugly, get in the trenches, get in the mud, and win in a war of attrition, win with pure willpower and strength. And that's something that Mike Vrabel, as a human being, kind of embodies. It's the culture he's instilled in this team. I'm not saying that's going to go away entirely. I don't think that Mike Vrabel's capable of that. I think, again, it's within his DNA to be that guy, to be the big bully. But... His acknowledgement, again, without being prompted of the fact that this team's not fast and we need to get faster. We need to be smart. We need to be fast and we need to be physical. Finding a better balance of that physical and fast element of their game is important and it seem, is seemingly important to Mike Vrabel. And I think it's going to be reflected in the way that they build this team next year. They're also going to be addressing the injury concerns with this team in a much different way as we've talked about ad nauseum for the entirety of this show's existence, the Titans have been the most injured team in the entire NFL for going on two seasons. Now it's been a problem that looked like a coincidence and then bad luck. And now it's pretty undeniable that, yeah, there's some coincidental things here and there. There's some luck involved here and there, but there's some systematic problems within the way that this team operates from a player health and safety standpoint from a player injury standpoint from maybe a, a player load management standpoint that is, is causing them to be again, head and shoulders above the rest of the league when it comes to man games lost, for example, in just how many guys they're having to go through to field a team each week. That's something that Mike Vrabel mentioned a couple of times in his press conference. He mentioned Christian Fulton and David Long Jr., two guys that are almost certainly going to be the future of this team on defense. But he mentioned them as soft tissue injury repeat offenders, and that's been the case with both of those guys two years in a row now. They've not been able to keep those soft tissue injuries from keeping them off the field. He mentioned wanting to see guys like that finding a way to, to eradicate that next year and, and putting an emphasis on that as they go into next season, finding ways to keep guys off of the injury report with soft tissue injuries. He also highlighted a, a guy like Tier Tart, who he used as an example of a guy that stays in shape all year, is conditioned up all year, and he improves during the year because he's able to be out there and on the field. And that was the case with Tier Tart this year. He's a big boy. Let me tell you, when you go into the locker room, as I have this year, he is one of, if not the guy that immediately draws your attention visually. And you're like, wow, that's a big fella over there. He's a big, big guy, but he's an athlete, man. He stays conditioned and he stays healthy. He stayed out on the field for almost the entire season. And you saw what he was able to do to transform into as a, as a young player when he got those meaningful reps. So I, I think that Mike Vrabel is going to emphasize that. And he also mentioned, by the way, in his press conference, JT, and this is a big one. He said that the players on this team 
he's made this clear to the players that they need to be working very hard over the next four months because there are going to be players coming in the pipeline to this team that are going to be taking their jobs. And of course, that's the case each and every year. But this year in particular, I think that he is looking for, if not a full-blown youth revival, a serious change of the guard um, at certain positions, some needed and maybe some necessary because of injury concerns or, or maybe some four to eight guys that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks that, that Vrabel decides to uh, to to replace with younger or better talent in his eyes. So that's something that's going to change dramatically next year. The, the third and final thing that I think is going to change a lot is I think there's going to be some return to form for this team. So really not a change um, on the long-term scale, but a, a change on the short-term scale. We saw this year this team that had built an identity for the past couple of seasons as a team that wins close games, they're hard-nosed, they're physical, they're very, very disciplined, and they don't shoot themselves in the foot very often. We saw this team do a lot of that this year. I mean, Mike Vrabel mentioned in his press conference that the Titans went 5-6 and six this year in one-score games. That's something that he's said and we've said has to be a strength of theirs going forward because it's been a strength of theirs in the past, and it's the way that, frankly, a team without a top-flight quarterback gets by in the NFL. You have to be good in situational football. You have to be good in one-score games. And the Titans had been for a very long time until this past year. The the, the Titans also um, had Mike Vrabel say this in his press conference, and this is the last topic that we're going to get into before we sit down with JT for some Titans news. Mike Vrabel said, I want Ryan Tannehill to get as healthy as he possibly can and to be our starting quarterback next season. If Ryan was healthy, he would be our story, would have been our starting quarterback. He also said that he doesn't want to talk about hypotheticals when it comes to Ryan Tannehill. This is a, a conversation we're going to be having a lot over the coming weeks and months. I think that Ryan Tannehill is going to be back next season. I think that there's almost no chance they go and get a guy in free agency, and there's a pretty small chance that they decide to pull the trigger in the NFL draft. We'll talk about that more with James Foster here in a couple of moments, but it's important to note that although Mike Vrabel said this, and he seems to be in on Ryan Tannehill for next year, Mike Vrabel lies at the podium. And that's not an indictment of him. That is just a reality of the head coach position in the NFL. Each and every head coach, or at least every good head coach has to really out of necessity lie at the podium to us, the media. And, and that is, is something that we see all the time. We see them have to eat their words on a regular basis because they can't tell us things at certain times or they don't want to tell us things at certain times. And they don't care, frankly, if they're very quickly proven to be wrong or a flat out liar. We saw that in a pretty stark case this past Monday when the Titans held their press conference for Mike Vrabel. And we saw Mike Vrabel say these two things in two different clips that I have pulled for us about the head coach uh, position, or excuse me, the coaching positions that were kind of on the hot seat coming out of the year this year for the Titans, the offensive line coach, the secondary coach, the offensive coordinator, the special teams coordinator. He was pressed on those guys, and this is what he had to say in two separate clips, one from friend of the show, John Glennon, over at Sports Illustrated, and one from Teron Davenport over at ESPN. This is what he had to say on that front before we saw guys eventually get fired. 
Um, and I think that one thing that going back to where you drew that from was things that I that I look for or that I certainly want to make sure is at the forefront is that can you, you know, trust this person right outside of here? Can you trust them that the messages that you're portraying to the team uh, are getting relayed and that they're they're allowing for to put your message into their own words and that they're not out there looking for another job or they're not giving the players mixed messages. I think that's the loyalty, you know, that uh, that I'm looking for. The, the loyalty that I have is obviously just to do, uh, put people in place that, that are right for the football team. And so uh, I'll look at each and every phase of our, our team as it relates to the coaching staff, as it relates to the players and that process has has obviously started. Just finished up meeting with the players and, and thank them, you know. And then, you know, I'll have conversations with the coaches, you know, throughout this week and, and next week. And change is obviously a part of this league. It's part of professional sports. You know, I think that we'll, there'll be conversations here in the short term about you know, the general manager and, and where that goes. And then that person and I will have conversations, we'll have conversations with Amy, you know, about the extent of the change that we have. And I don't think that that's something that is going to happen necessarily overnight, but there's going to be, you know, change. How about It's not going to happen overnight because it's going to happen later that day. It's something that happened just hours after this press conference. The Titans lopped the heads off of some of their coaching staff and sent them packing. And this is just, again, just an example of how Mike Vrabel, as well as every other good head coach in the entire league, goes about their job at the podium versus what they do behind the scenes. He can say that we're not going to make any rushed judgment or rushed decisions right now in terms of the personnel on this team. And then hours later, he fires four coaches. So that's something to keep in mind. Whenever Mike Fribble says anything this, this offseason, I think that Tannehill is sticking around, and I think that him giving a verbal vote of confidence for Ryan Tannehill going forward bolsters that point. But it's not the end-all, be-all when it comes to what is Mike Vrabel really thinking and when you see people online hang on every single word Mike Vrabel says in a press conference there's a reason why it's because oftentimes he's speaking in code he's flat out lying or he's giving little hints as to what he truly thinks all right that's it for the top of the show and the monologue here we're going to get into our Titans news segment in just a moment but before we do got to let you know if you're listening to this show via our podcast please go over to YouTube at Broadway Sports Media uh, not.com, Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page, and subscribe over there. You'll get this show in its full video format. It is a video show, folks. We got great visuals, great video, things that you can't you can't really appreciate the full show unless you're watching it as well as listening to it. All of that's available to you for free on YouTube for every single episode. So go and subscribe, Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. Get this show. Get football and other f words. Get some future content coming down the down the pike here. Some awesome stuff going on at the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page. All right, JT, time for some Titans news.
All right, getting into this absolutely loaded news segment here. Let's first start off with something not Titans related. And of course, a huge story that's been happening in the NFL is DeMar Hamlin. It was reported earlier this week that DeMar is finally discharged from the Buffalo hospital that he was staying at. And he is finally getting to go home, which is some great news and a happy ending to that story and probably the best outcome that we could have hoped for. Hopefully we see him continue to recover and get uh, a lot better down the stretch here, but it, we are glad that he is home. Moving Ab- on. Absolutely. Real quick, JT, I just, I, it, you see that news that he's released from the hospital and it's it's obviously a, a flood of relief, but I, I can't help but think back to just a week and a half ago now and we're sitting watching that game. You're in the stadium in Cincinnati watching this happen. And I don't know about you, but I was certain, certain that we had just seen, at least I had for the first time in my life, seen a football player die right there in front of us on national television on the football field. And to go from that to a week and a half later, now he is in good spirits. He's released from the hospital. There's hope that he may make a full recovery and get back to football one day. It's incredible. It's a miracle. Yeah, no, for sure. Moving on to uh, some Titans news here. Let's talk about the Titans firings that were earlier this week. Mm. It was reported on Monday that the Titans fired offensive coordinator Todd Downing to the praise of every Titans fan on Twitter, as well as offensive line coach Keith Carter, secondary coach Anthony Midget, and offensive skill assistant Eric Frazier. So the Titans will be adding those positions to their search along with the GM position. Yeah, it was something that kept me from having to write anything or talk any further about Todd Downing and whether or not the Titans will fire him versus whether they should and they should have, and they did. So that's fantastic. I'm glad. I'm very glad for a a, a selfish reason that that Mike Vrabel didn't make us wait any longer than was necessary on that. And uh, it it was actually talked about on Bustin' with the Boys earlier this week, a clip that I saw. It sounds like Todd Downing. I mean, he's... People like to call him a moron because they don't like the way that he calls plays on the field and, and fair. But he's not a, a moron of a human being. He was aware, as anybody else, that his job was in serious jeopardy. Taylor Lewan said that a, a couple of weeks ago when he was just at practice walking around, he was talking to him. And he, you know, Lewan post-surgery has lost a lot of weight. He's a big lineman that bulks up whenever he plays. When he's not playing, he, he looks a lot skinnier than a lineman. He looks more like a big tight end. And... He said on the show that Downing had mentioned to him, are you going to come play tight end? And Lawan is like, yeah, I'm coming to play tight end for you next season. And Downing said something back to the extent of, you coming to play for me at the high school I'll be coaching? Like that, that's that's where Todd Downing's head was at. That's where everybody else's head was at. I'm glad we were all on the same page, Mike Rabel included. And the Titans are going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator to the delight, like you said, of every single Titans fan in the world. And JT, one of those coaches that was fired was offensive line coach Keith Carter, who I have to take the L on. I have to uh, change my opinion on because I had been saying that I didn't think he would be on the hot seat. I was very surprised to see him fired. It was mentioned this week, though, in a clip, another clip from Bustin' with the Boys with Taylor Lewan. And I believe the guest was Josh Dobbs uh, with, with Will Compton as well. Talking, I think they got the news live that the firing had taken place. Keith Carter, the coach of Taylor Lewan on the offensive line for years, was being let go. Here's what he had to say about that firing. Five years. That's five years. Yeah, man, Keith and I have had a very up and down relationship, and I think it's ended at a much higher point. But damn, 
I think, like when Keith first got there, he the way he came in and the way he was trying to act towards everybody, like very disrespectful, very like the authoritarian, very authoritative, but like in a very like dictatorship type of way. Keith grew every single year, um, and he he did live on the O line with impossible standards. That was kind of like one of those things. You know how football is. You know how it gets kind of toxic sometimes. Like it's never good enough. You think you do well, but all of a sudden there's one or two plays you want back and. Sometimes you just want to pat on the back and you never truly get that. I think Keith's a good, I think Keith is a good offensive line coach that was stricken by injuries. Me, Ben, Nate, Brewer was hurt this year and Nick missed a couple games. That's all five starting guys were hurt. So that's not necessarily Keith Carter's fault. I think he, he'll be able to get a job uh, in the NFL again. But yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say like anything disrespectful, right? Because I think he's a good dude. And I think like he his his nice friendship friendship is a very loose term, but our business relationship got a whole lot better from the first time he was in to now. Um, I just wish he he focused a little bit more on taking care of the older players. I think Ben got a little more of that towards the end, and then I kind of did this year, but um. This, those practices are hard and they wear on your body and they wear your tires out really fast. Those practices are really hard and they wear on your body and they wear your tires out fast. That's the most important thing that I took away from what Taylor had to say there. I, I think the reason that Carter was let go ultimately did kind of had to do with the Titans offensive line not being treated in a way that kept them healthy enough to play. It sounds like Elsewhere in the league, offensive line coaches had done a very good job or were doing a very good job of managing the load of a lot of these guys, giving them a chance to, you know, have some days off in training camp, take it easy during the week, during practice in the actual season. And that's something that it sounds like Keith Carter didn't really do a whole lot. And I think that wearing all the tread off of those tires too early is big part of the reason why we saw guys not make it to the end of the year the past two seasons. I mean, why do you think... Maybe it's just a coincidence that that Roger Saffold went to Buffalo this year and has been relatively healthy all season long after not being able to stay healthy the past three seasons or his last three seasons with the Titans. Maybe that's a coincidence. Very, very possibly could be. But I I think that there's some truth to that. And that's part of the reason why I've changed my opinion. That's something that I did not know about Keith Carter. And if that was the case, I think that it was right to let him go. Um, and the Titans are going to have to find another person to coach their offensive line. And this new person is going to have, a, you'd think, a lot of new pieces to work with because the offensive line is going to be rebuilt pretty significantly this offseason. Yeah, speaking of which, they're going to have to, before they do any of that, start with the GM spot. And the Titans are continuing to make a long list of candidates for their GM position. So far, that list includes in-house names such as interim GM Ryan Cowden, executive Monty Austin-Fort, and director of pro scouting Brian Gardner. Outside of the organization, the Titans requested to interview with Brown's assistant GM Glenn Cook, Bears assistant GM Ian Cunningham, Bills director of player personnel Malik Boyd, 49ers director of player personnel Ron Carthen, and vice president of player personnel Quentin Harris. The Titans also requested to interview 49ers assistant GM Adam Peters, but he declined. Right, so Peters was the early front runner in many circles as the guy that folks would have liked to see 
become the Titans' new GM, but he was also the longest odds. And he, again, like you said, JT, turned down the Titans and the Cardinals. Both teams had requested to interview him. The 49ers were allowing him to interview, but he declined. He's a Southern California guy, or I guess a Northern California guy in San Francisco, grew up a 49ers fan. He's the assistant GM there. And I'd imagine his idea is to stay there and hopefully one day become the GM of his lifelong fandom franchise. So it's not shocking to see him not come, but he's a fantastic talent evaluator. The next guy that seems to be the next most popular favorite among many is Cunningham from Chicago. It's a guy that I'll be honest, I've not done a ton of my own digging on, but from what I've read and from what I've heard, sounds like a fantastic option. The thing that you have to note, and I think it's important to keep this in mind for Titans fans, because odds are it probably won't be Cunningham that's picked. Maybe it is, but there's a lot of guys that they're interviewing. Um, I think ultimately you should be hoping that it's somebody out of house that gets the nod. That's the big thing to me. Get some new blood in there. Get a new perspective in there. Get somebody that wasn't previously on John Robinson's team within that regime um, and get some, some fresh philosophy in that way. But beyond just hoping it's an external candidate, yeah, you have to realize that a lot of times teams pick GMs that on paper aren't the most qualified or aren't the most savory candidate, but they end up working out really, really well. And so GM hirings and firings are a really, really tough one for fans and media alike to really wrap your head around from a predictive standpoint. Because how these guys do in their past job doesn't necessarily correlate to how they do in the job that they get. We've seen folks like the Bills go, I believe, to the Panthers to get their GM. We've seen Howie Roseman come from very humble beginnings to become, I think, the best GM doing it right now in the league in Philadelphia. We've seen teams like the 49ers hire their GM away from network television, calling calling games as an analyst in the booth like... It can come from anywhere and they can become studs. You also can get guys that come in with a fantastic pedigree and are a disaster. So whoever they hire, I think, should be um, exciting. And I think as long as it's an external candidate, that should be the focus. But I wanted to point this out, JT, just before we, we move on here. The win percentages of all the teams. I actually had you help me out with this research. I got a list of all the teams that had openings either for coach, offensive coordinator, GM, or a combination therein. And I looked at the win percentage of these teams over the past three seasons just to see, you know, let's rank these teams in terms of how successful the franchises have been recently. The Titans, with a GM and offensive coordinator position to fill, are clearly clearly of these teams the most successful franchise and i think the the most appetizing option in a lot of ways for these prospective offensive coordinators and gms to come in and, and join the tennessee titans in nashville you, you look at the full list and it's teams like the jets who have had 13 wins in the past three years most of them this past season the panthers with 17 wins the broncos with 17 wins the falcons with 18 the Commanders with 22 and the Cardinals with 23, the Browns with 26, um, the the Rams are really the closest with 29 wins, and then you've got the Titans with 
30 wins to just 20 losses in their past three seasons. This is a team that has been excellent for half a decade. It's a team that has fantastic leadership at the ownership and head coach position. It's a team with an identity, and it's a team that has been in the AFC a real contender in recent years, and I think very reasonably could be a contender again as early as next season. So there's a lot of reasons why I think Again, prospective offensive coordinators and prospective GMs could look at the Titans as the most appetizing, the most enticing, the most attractive option of all of the openings for them to go and interview for aggressively and desire aggressively when they look for a new job. So that's very good news for the Tennessee Titans. I think that they're in position to get the cream of the crop. As for when a lot of these guys will be interviewing for said jobs, it was reported that two of the in-house guys in Ryan Calden and Austin Fort would be interviewing on Thursday. So yesterday they completed and conducted their interviews on them. Ron Carthen of the 49ers will be interviewing on Friday today when you're listening to this. And both Ian Cunningham and Quentin Harris will be interviewing Saturday. Glenn Cook and Malik Boyd of the Browns and Bills respectively have yet to respond to the Titans' request for interviews, so we'll have to keep an eye on those two, but that's your interview schedule to keep an eye on throughout the rest of the weekend. Moving on, let's look at the defensive side of the ball here. The Browns have requested and will be interviewing senior directive senior defensive assistant, sorry, Jim Schwartz for their defensive coordinator position. And the Titans have requested a talk with commander's defensive back coach, Chris Harris, for a position in the defensive staff. Whether that be a secondary coach role or a pass game coordinator role, we'll have to see. But they're also starting to move outside of the GM search and look for guys to fill other holes. Yeah, so with with Jim Caldwell potentially going and uh, Jim Caldwell, what am I talking about? Jim Schwartz <laughs> Jim going Schwartz, to yep. to potentially assume the, the role of defensive coordinator with the Browns. It, it was last season that he also interviewed from, for some positions and ultimately stayed with the Titans, didn't get those jobs. I'd be surprised if he didn't get a job this year, but I was surprised that he didn't get a job last year. He's a guy that's fantastic, definitely can be a coordinator in this league. And I don't think it's that big of a loss. The Titans, he's been around and been filling the mind of Shane Bowen, the Titans' current defensive coordinator, with all of his wisdom and uh, a lot of his, uh, some, you know, the way that he plays the game, the way that he likes to scheme up a defense that's worked really well for the Titans in the past two years. And for that reason, I don't think it'll be a big loss, but he is a fantastic guy that you would like to see stick around if the Titans get lucky and nobody hires him. That's all we have to report now on the interviewing process for the Titans. Let's look to who the Titans are signing to future contracts. The Titans signed 11 players to those contracts, and I'll run them down here for you real quick. These are most guys who are on the Titans practice squad here. We have defensive tackle Curtis Brooks, cornerback Shaheem Carter, offensive lineman Zach Johnson, wide receiver Mason Kinsey, outside linebacker Zach McLeod, Tight end Thomas Odukoya, outside linebacker Sam Okwanu, defensive line men Jaden Peavy, wide receiver Reggie Robertson, tackle Andrew Rupchich, and kicker Caleb Shudak were all signed to Titans future contracts. Another Titan who signed a future contract with a different team was Des Fitzpatrick, the wide receiver who signed a futures deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fitzpatrick was drafted in the fourth round of the 2021 draft by the Titans, who 
They traded up to get him over another notable receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown, who has been making a name for himself. Fitzpatrick was one of the five players on the Titans practice squad not to get signed to a future contract by the team. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Fitzpatrick, it's kind of the end of the Titans chapter with him, and it's a not-so-great reflection on John Robinson's tenure. It's yet another instance of John Robinson taking a guy, trading up for a guy that was, you know, at the time, a, a generally unattractive prospect who really had only had a good week at the Senior Bowl, which is something that John Robinson fell into a lot, going to the Senior Bowl, falling in love with some guys that had good weeks there, but not really paying attention to them outside of their Senior Bowl experience. That sometimes works for you. It sometimes doesn't. It definitely did not with Dez, and he traded up to get him over guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, like you said. It's, it's just yet another kind of microcosm, small but very harmful decision by John Robinson that has had kind of an avalanche snowball effect of repercussions with this team and their receiving core. You know, your fourth round receiver flames out like that and is never even remotely close to a contributing factor. It's not great. He never produced. And it's another stain on John Robinson's tenure. Next on the docket here, let's talk about Pro Bowl and first team All-Pro snub, Ryan Stonehouse, whose mm. jersey and cleats are on the way to Canton after breaking... Now, hang on. To be that, fair, first team All-Pro according to the Players Association, not the traditional All-Pro. So yes. there's still hope that he gets the recognition he deserves, but it's true. But his jerseys and his cleats in his first rookie season here are on the way to Canton after breaking that 80-year-old punting record, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I saw, by the way, a friend of the show, James Foster, who we have on the show here in just a moment, he tweeted out a chart uh, via PFF numbers, I believe, could be wrong about that, showing the average punt distance of each punter in the NFL this season uh, on the on the x-axis and on the y-axis their average hang time not only did Stonehouse shatter shatter by two full yards the 80 year old record set by Sammy Baugh in 1940 for longest average punt but he also did it with the league average hang time he wasn't rifling these balls down there and giving his other uh, teammates on special teams time to get down and make the tackle he was doing that at a perfectly acceptable perfectly average hang time for the rest of the league so what he did this year is amazing he saw his cleats and i think gloves or a football or something go to the pro football hall of fame um, because he broke that record it was an, an amazing year for him and the titans i mean in terms of john robinson making a good move deciding to let go of titans legend brett kern and stick with the rookie Stonehouse seems to be a 10 out of 10 decision. The Titans seem to have their punter for the next 10 plus years locked on the roster. Finally, we will, speaking of the Pro Bowl, we'll talk about a little bit of the Pro Bowl news and the structure Woo! that was Exciting. announced the Pro Bowl. today, which are actually Thursday, which is yesterday. It will feature nine events, including some like kick-tack-toe, which you can probably guess what that means. Kickers will yeah. be kicking through the uprights for tic-tac-toe, a best catch tournament, which will span both days, a longest drive challenge. Yes, longest golf drive challenge. is in the golf challenge. All right. And of course, they got to cap it off with dodgeball. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays I'll, out. I'll say this, JT. I'll say this. Weird, weird. But sounds more entertaining than the, the, the 
sham of a game they've been playing for the past That's 10 plus years. Fair, so very fair. honestly, it's a welcome change to me. I'm sure there'll be some fun social media clips at the very least to get from it. I'm not sure anybody's going to be watching it live, but it'll be fun to see the highlights. So uh, exciting news in terms of the Pro Bowl becoming maybe, maybe a watchable product this year. And that's all we got today. All right, before we leave the news segment here and get into James Foster Friday, I want to real quick, it didn't really have another place in the show schedule for this. JT, you and I are going to make our picks just to put it out there on the records. Uh, it, Kenneth, Kenneth, by the way, we appreciate you being in here and watching the show. He says, just let the guys have fun. It's better than the lame game. Kenneth, you're absolutely right. You are, you're totally right about uh, the, the, the Titans needing, or not the Titans, the NFL needing to revamp the Pro Bowl, and I'm glad that they are. Um, we, we are going to give you our playoff bracket predictions. So JT and I are going to list our playoff picks just to get them out there. We got Super Wild Card Weekend this weekend, and we want to establish what we think is going to happen in the playoffs. This is not what I'm rooting for because in the playoffs, I'm often rooting for chaos, rooting for the underdog. I like to see close games, but this is what I think is going to happen. Um, JT, and we can go back and forth just to see, you know, in a couple of weeks who was more right than the other. I think on the AFC side of the wild card weekend, I think you see Buffalo handle Miami without to a pretty easily. I think Cincinnati handles Baltimore relatively easily without Lamar Jackson. And I think that, and this is the one that's a total toss up to me. I, I I have not made my decision one way or another, but I think the chargers beat the Jaguars. A big, big part of that is going to be contingent on the health situation. So I may very well flip entirely if I see certain key chargers players, not able to play this week, but I think if they're healthy enough, they can win that game. Um, ultimately, I, I don't know. I don't know whether either of these teams can make a run, but um, if if the winner does go to KC, I think that they'll have a fighter's chance. And I guess the winner will go to K KC almost certainly. I think they'll have a fighter's chance. And they're the two teams in the entire bracket, I think, that are most likely to potentially have that you know, lower seed run. Um, so that's my AFC side of the wildcard weekend. On the NFC side, I think the Niners murder the Seahawks. I think it won't be even close. I think Minnesota beats the Giants. Listen, I think that whenever you have a very, very square and public side that we have this week with the Giants that like, hey, the Giants are going to upset the the Vikings. It's the very popular take this week. Everyone thinks it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Vikings are going to win relatively easily. And I think that Tampa Bay beats Dallas for the 10,000th time. Tom Brady continues to own the Cowboys and the Cowboys once again are sent packing without a playoff win. I really hope that's the case because I hate the Cowboys. JT, what are your wild card weekend picks? Yeah, I'll start off in the AFC as well. My AFC side of the wild card weekend looks pretty much the the same as yours, really. I think Buffalo will handle and take care of business uh, against Miami. I think Cincinnati will win the game at home against Baltimore. Although I'm not going to, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little concerned about this game it, for two reasons. One, Joe Burrow, against this Ravens defense has been a hit or miss. Mm -hmm. You could see that a lot in the uh, second half of the game last week, as well as you put these games right back one against the other. Like they played just last week and then they play again. Mm -hmm. It becomes more of a thing where you feel like it's a best of five or best of seven series in like some other sport where you feel like, okay, now this team is going to have the time to kind of reassess what they have and kind of maybe 
come back and surprise them here at home again. So I, I think the I think the Bengals still win, but I'm a little cautious about that game. And then, like you said, I think the Chargers will just be able to barely edge out the Jags in this game. On the other side of the conference, the NFC conference, I think that San Francisco will also take care of Seattle pretty easily. I'm going to take the square side here in the Giants beating these Vikings. And I'm going to take also Tom Brady beating the Cowboys once again. Yeah, here here I am making fun of square picks, but then you and I both agree that the the Cowboys are going to lose to the Bucks, which is a pretty square pick, but we just yeah, I right? need that to happen. Um all right, so in the divisional round, I think that Kansas City wins out over the Chargers or the Jags, whoever makes it. And then I think that the Bills get their revenge or not revenge actually. They get to play a full game against the Bengals in what will probably be a pretty uh emotional game. I think that they win that game at home. And uh, just to wrap up, to get to the Super Bowl, I think that Buffalo edges out and does get their revenge on Kansas City. They get to win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. On the NFC side, I think that Philadelphia beats Tampa Bay in another revenge game. They get revenge on the Bucks after last season's embarrassment in the wild card round. And then I think the Vikings get their revenge from the regular season over San Francisco. I don't think they're the better team at all, but I think that this is where Brock Purdy has his blow up game. I think it's going to happen eventually. And I think that Minnesota just has that magic spark in them and, and makes it to the NFC championship game. And then I think that Philadelphia handles Minnesota relatively easily in that championship game. And so it is bills Eagles in the final. What about you? Yeah. On the AFC side of the ball, I have, so the chargers would be going to KC. And I think this is where the chargers finally put it all together and take would KC love down. For you to be right about this. I would, would love that's, to see that's it. my favorite pick right now. I think uh, the chargers do make a little bit of a run here. If they can get past Jacksonville, I think it's going to be a tough game for the chiefs there. And I think they make it to the AFC championship. I'm also going to go with you on Buffalo here beating Cincinnati. And the only reason why I'm going to say that is because I think home field advantage matters a lot more in this game than any other game. Mm. I think it'd be really interesting to see after the season how that game plays out and see if Cincinnati, if they would have played that full game in Mm. week 16 and won against in Cincinnati and beat the Bills, and then the the sides would have kind of been flipped there and the the Bengals might have had the two seed there and play at home. I think maybe they make it to a second AFC championship game. But, of course... Mm. The NFL and everything just kind of fell as it is. And I think if the Bengals have to go to Buffalo, I think that home field advantage for them is just too good. Josh Allen is undefeated at home in the playoffs. Mm. And then it comes down to a uh, Chargers and Buffalo AFC uh, conference title there. I think Buffalo wins that game. On the NFC side here, I'm going to have San Francisco beating Tom Bra- Brock Purdy, going 2-0 and against Tom Brady on the season here. Young Tom Brady taking down old Tom Brady. Takes down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's the narrative that will be insufferable that week. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? And then Philadelphia will take easy care of the Giants for the third time this year, which sets up a San Francisco-Philadelphia NFC championship where I think San Francisco, with their defense and Brock Purdy being able to manage uh, manage the game there, I think San Francisco goes to the Super Bowl. 
which will be a San Francisco Buffalo Super Bowl for me. So we both have the Bills in the in the final game, and I, you picked the the Niners. I picked the Eagles to represent the NFC. I do find that fascinating because I think it would be really funny to watch all of the you have to have an elite quarterback folks in the in the uh, the the NFL community have to explain away Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant, in his rookie season coming in as the third string at the end of the season, taking this team taking this team to the the Super Bowl, you know, I love the idea that, you know, we can break that mold. But in the final game, I think that in my version, Buffalo takes on Philadelphia and pounds them. I think it's a reflection in that final game. I mean, I'm hoping it's not a bad game. Of course, the Super Bowl is a big game. I hope it's entertaining. But I think that that game will be a reflection of what we've said since months and months ago in the summer, that the AFC this year is just so, so, so much better than the NFC. And I think it's reflected in a big Buffalo win that is really not all that tight. Yeah, and I'm going to, like you said, I I just don't think it'll matter. I'm going to take the 49ers to win it all here against Buffalo because I think it would be uh, absolute chaos for the NFL. I think the San Francisco 49ers, then what do you do with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy on your roster here going into the offseason? I think it's total chaos. But I also think that the 49ers defense is just that good. And I think they have some of the best weapons around whoever plays quarterback there for them. I think they get the job done in the Super Bowl. All right, those are our picks for the uh, NFL playoffs. I think that, again, those are not necessarily the picks that we want to see happen. We were trying to predict what will happen. Um, I'm sure a number of those things will go wrong, and we'll talk about it in the coming weeks. So now we're going to get to our interview with James Foster of A to Z Film Room and No Flags Film. He is here on another James Foster Friday. We're talking the draft. Here he is, James Foster. All right, it's a James Foster Friday, and so we are joined once again by our buddy James Foster. James, how are you, man? Enjoying the weather today? I am. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good. It's been haily and nasty and rainy today in Nashville, and so uh, we. I'm, I'm glad that we're recording when it's not crazy loud because it's been crazy loud at times today. Uh, we're talking about the draft. It's finally the off season, and um, it's crazy to think that it it was a year ago that you and I were hosting this show, and we spent three or four months together talking about last year's draft class and analyzing everything. And it was a ton of fun. We're going to be, uh, we're very thankful to have you as a a recurring guest this spring. Um, And we're going to be talking with you all through the next couple of months up until the draft about all the fantastic work that you do evaluating players and uh, the insight that you have from a draft standpoint. We know that it's your wheelhouse. So I'm jacked to talk about this with you. Today, since it's still very early, the NFL season for those that made the playoffs is not over yet. Um, so we're kind of easing into the draft talk. I wanted to do a bit of a draft primer with you today, kind of get a feel for those that, you know, I think this is most fans, haven't really spent much time looking into what this year's offseason or draft class is really going to look like yet. Maybe do a little primer and establish a baseline for ourselves So from kind of a 10,000 foot view of this draft class, which I know you've already done quite a bit of work on, what what are your thoughts overall about this draft class? Maybe what stands out to you, some strengths and weaknesses? What are your general thoughts on it? I think it's a stacked cornerback class. Um, That's your kind of draft class then. Yeah, I, I mean, I think probably the best cornerback class that I've ever evaluated, which is wow, four four years now. Okay. Um, 
And I think edge rusher is really strong as well. As far as weaknesses, uh, you know, receiver is it's it's pretty rough out there if you need a receiver. And we've not I had a draft like that in a while. I mean, last year's wasn't a stud class, but there were at least some some big names, right? I mean, Traylon Burks was he was either my wide receiver four or five last year, but Where he would be, be my wide year? receiver one this year. Wow! So it's um, that it's that sparse. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I mean, him or Jordan Addison would be it would be a. a a strong debate heading into April uh, about wide receiver one for me. Um, So I think receivers really weak, but I I think the weakest position of this entire class is interior offensive line in general center, center and guard. Um, Haven't found a single one that I like. Really? So no, you don't think any interior prospect in this draft is really a first or second round draft grade maybe just by necessity of the position they may be, but they're not really all that talented in the grand scheme of things. Well, I have Peter Skaronsky as a guard, so okay, I have yeah, first yeah. round grade That's on fair. him, but um, yeah, I mean, I, you, you can never, I'm only like 70 to 80 players in, so you can never right. really say um, about, you know, when guys are going to pop up. Like I had a second round grade on Zach Tom last year and mm-hmm. he was probably the 150th player that I evaluated. So, Right. You never know. Comparing this year's class to last year's class, um, do you think it's a stronger class? I know there, the different elements of it are, are stronger and weaker, but we talked a lot last year about how the draft class as a whole was kind of underwhelming. Do you feel the same way about this year, or is it a different story? I think I think it's probably a little bit more underwhelming than last year. I would say last year was a slight step above. The one thing that this... You, you know, think I guess this year's really class is more under the lens. The lens that you view the class through depends on, you know, what your team's positional needs are. Sure. Um, I guess. But, you know, I think the one thing that this class definitely has going for it over last year's is the quarterback class is much stronger. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, you could say about really any year compared to last year's class. But right. this, I think this is a, a pretty solid quarterback class. So, but, but um, to be clear, you think that this year's draft class is even more underwhelming than last year? Yeah, I think when you just look um, position by position, there's okay. there's a lot more dead zones in this year's class than uh, there were last year, in my opinion. Is it a matter of top heaviness, like in terms of the depth of the of the draft? I mean, I know you're only 80 players in, but is that really what it is? That it's like there's just not a ton of great guys you could see falling into the later rounds or well, yeah, I mean, I'm only 80 players in, so I, I can't really speak to the the bottom, you know, anything outside of like the top 80, really. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I only have, um, let's see, I have 14 first round grades so far, and I still have wow. a few more guys to get to that, like I see other people have first round first round grades on. So, And when you say first round grade, that's, that's a, that's a, a steady standard year to year. That's like guys right, yeah, that are gotcha. based on like an average draft class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where would they be valued? Well, I want to talk about the Titans because of course we, we both follow the Titans, cover the Titans. This is a Titans show um, going into this draft, their greatest needs. First of all, I want to get your not quite day one, but essentially day one take. What is James Foster's opinion on whether or not the Titans should consider making an all-out blitz this this draft cycle to go and get a rookie quarterback oh i think that would be a terrible move 
Okay. To like, well, I mean, if you're talking about drafting a quarterback at 11, then sure. Right. No, I know. I mean, I mean, going up and getting one of the top two or three guys. Yeah, they're not they're not in that position um, just in terms of the way their roster's built. Like, we agree. Because we agree on this. I guarantee you the conversation that we would have. <clears throat> excuse me. The the conversation that we would have if they traded up for, um, um, the conversation that we would be having if they traded up for Bryce Young, um, would be oh well, you know the conversation that we'd be having a year from now would be oh well Bryce Young's rookie season doesn't count. We can't evaluate him for how bad it was because. It's not fair. He didn't have a left tackle. And it's like, you know, it, why it would be like the Bears tackle? with Fields last year, wouldn't it? That's what I keep coming back to that it would be right. like, yeah. And like the point, obviously, you want to get the franchise quarterback, the Patrick Mahomes, like someone where you're a guaranteed Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender every year. Right. But in reality, that's not what most quarterbacks are. And so a really big part of the value that you're getting from drafting a quarterback early in the first round is that you're getting four years of him on a rookie contract. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine with the first year of the quarterback's rookie contract being like, let's feel it out, see what um, our team is type of deal. But starting year two, I want to be competing because I yeah. want to take advantage of the fact that I'm not paying my quarterback anything and I can spend that money at other positions. So I just strongly disagree with the team building philosophy of, finding the quarterback and then building everything else around them. I think you do it the opposite way. No, we agree entirely. I think that that would be a a foolish waste of time. And and when you look at the 10 teams that are in front of the Titans, that they would have to be probably outbidding for a quarterback because the, you know, which of these teams actually might need a quarterback. You, you have really eight of the 10 that are in that camp, the Texans, the Colts, the Seahawks, the Lions, the Raiders, the Falcons, the Panthers, all of those teams are going to be considering, at the very least, these top two or three quarterbacks in the draft. And we, we've seen we've seen one trade in recent NFL history for that number one overall pick for a quarterback. When the Rams went and got Jared Goff in 2016, that trade carried two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds. That's, that's the kind of selling out, um, selling the farm for a quarterback that I, again, I, I think we agree. You can't make that move if you don't have a team built around them. And in kind of transitioning into it, my next question is, you know, you say they don't quite have the team built around them. How far do you think this Titans roster is right now from being a legitimate contender? Again, it wasn't, but you know, felt like 10 seconds ago that the Titans were a contender in the AFC for a couple years in a row. And now it kind of seems like the narrative is this roster has a long ways to go. What do you think top to bottom? How far away are they? I don't think, I don't think rosters really ever have as like long of a way to go as people say. Um, I, I, I don't know the idea of being like in a, uh, you know, trapped in some purgatory of roster building. I, I don't really think that plays out that often. I really think it's a left tackle and a quarterback like are the two most important pieces. And right. if you bring back Ryan Tannehill and you're still going to go with that formula, then I would say it's a left tackle and another receiver. A piece. Yeah. No, I agree. So like, And, you know, because defense is just – defense is so volatile year to year. You know, you can just, you can just have a good defense randomly. Um, offense is stable. And, I, you know, you have a – if you – get a Taylor Lewan replacement in this draft class, which I think you have the opportunity to with Paris, Paris Johnson, Jr. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, I think that could be a big step and then just continue to throw darts at the receiver position. I, I agree with you. And I think that's a, a pretty poignant point. The, the idea that you're not nearly as far away from competing uh, with your roster as it may seem. I mean, I think back to some of the worst rosters in recent memory, like, you know, the bears this year had a horrible roster. It was Justin Fields on the ground and essentially nothing else. The Texans of the last couple of years, the Jaguars a couple of years ago, if you do things the right way, it really only takes one off season, maybe two to kind of get things turned around. Um, and like you said, it's about those key positions, having somebody that, that is not just serviceable, but that can, um, be a plus player. I, I want to ask you this, and I think I already know the answer to it, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on it because we talked a good bit about this last year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your philosophy, and, and we share this, this sentiment, teams shouldn't be looking to build in the draft. Teams should be looking to build in free agency, and then the draft is is kind of treated as a different supplemental um, I guess essentially if you are having to build your team around draft picks, then you're probably not nearly the contender you may think that you are. So I wanted to talk about positions that you would prefer to see the Titans address in a free agency versus positions that you would rather see them address in the draft. Well, just to be clear, I mean, my position would be the opposite. I, I think you have to build through the draft. Did I, sorry, did I say that backwards? Yeah, I think. You yeah, did. sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you have All to right, build yeah. through the draft if you're looking to build through free agency. That's what I meant. I, mean, I, got I totally you. got it backwards in my yeah, head. That makes yes. sense. Sorry. Oh, but yeah. yeah go, um, go ahead. Yeah, I think they need to just put like, uh, they need a spray bottle for whenever John Robinson tries to draft a running back or not a John, <laughs> the Titans organization, just their whole no like, longer John Robinson. Off. We're going to yeah. find our backup running back in the third round or something. Just get, what are you get they're taking the John Robinson in the first. What are you um, talking about? So I think running backs should always be free agency. Um, unless you're taking like a, a high end athletic guy in like the fourth or fifth round. Um, tangential I question think, have you draft have you graded out Bijan robinson yet yeah you, where do you have him what round uh well early second but it's like positional value weighted right you would so, never I mean, that's basically the highest value uh grade that i would probably give a running back but i don't know it's you know to each his own yeah. um i think you know, offensive line, when you look at the available free agents and offensive line, it's it's a wasteland out there. So I would actually kind of like them theoretically to go out in free agency and get some stability along the offensive line. I don't know exactly um, where right. where that's going to come from. Um, and, you know, I think with left tackle specifically, you know, you need to get a guy that's I hate I hate the ten year term, but you need to get a guy that's going to be there ten for the year long starter, haul, baby. You know, like for yeah. your franchise. Um, I think receiver. One thing that I've been thinking about is like maybe upgrading the upgrading wide receiver four, wide receiver five. You mm. know, up from like Rudy Story to like uh, a competent you know NFL receiver, like right. You know, like just get get some like kind of like scrub, like you know Chris Conley. That was a, that was a, a step in the right direction. Like let's get more more of the Chris Conleys, less of the Josh Gordon, uh, you know, reclamation projects, less of the Mason Kenzies. Like 
Mm-hmm. I think I think that could be a philosophical shift that I would probably do with the receiver room. Okay. Um, kind of get some. Uh, Paul Kaharski's been on this point for a while, but mm-hmm. the Titans need to. Something that I really disagree with John Robinson is they would hang on to these bottom of the roster guys for so long. Yep. Like they had invested actual draft capital and like, um, God, I can't even, you know, like there's that defensive lineman from Tennessee. Um, from, from oh, a couple years yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Years. But, you know, just like so many guys that are, that are on the practice squad for so long and anytime they get action, they, um, you know, or disaster. they don't belong yeah. on the field. So yeah, that, those, that would probably be my answers. So you kind of naturally transition transitioned into my next question, or maybe that was you answering the next question. I um, mean, you can you can tell me those are your thoughts. I don't have the, there, I don't have the questions up in front of me. I like I like to let them hit me live. Okay, gotcha. Well, then I think you subconsciously did because the next question I have is: Are there any philosophical changes that you would like to see this organization oh. or the new GM make this off season? Yeah, so I have a few more. Um, one thing I would say: quit, stop drafting um short-armed defensive backs like okay i think we've kind of seen that that's just that that's not a good combination um if they're going to be an outside zone team that's fine but stop in the run game right stop just like every offensive lineman has to be the archetype of shitty pass blocker good run blocker like maybe (laughs) one time just get you know get the, the good pass blocker, right? Right. Somebody that can, uh, you know, take a vertical set and hold up for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, th- those are the, those are the two things uh, that come to mind on each side of the ball. I think uh, the other one that I would say is like the Bud Dupree um, Vic Beasley contracts. I would stop getting. So I would want someone that, that wasn't, easily enamored by sack numbers that mm. weren't nece- that aren't going to be necessarily repeatable uh over the life of a contract okay all right two more questions for you before we get you out of here and we appreciate your time we got the playoffs going on right now i just out of curiosity want to know who do you think is coming out of each conference and who do you think wins it all all right are you ready for a hot take that's what we're here for hit me i've got chiefs eagles Wow, that's off the board, man. And, that's crazy. Um, the Chiefs winning. Oh, I hope you're wrong because <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to see that. But it's certainly uh, certainly on the board. Both of the one seeds going in and then the AFC beating the NFC sounds very, very unlikely. Uh, but we <laughs> we'll see what happens. I, what I will say, though, is like I wouldn't put money on this, but I do have a feeling just kind of a gut feeling that one of the Jaguars or Chargers are going to have a Joe Burrow type of run and lose the Super Bowl. Like, this, I just okay, have, so I we have this feeling. written down for later in the show when you're no longer with us. JT and I are going through our picks in the playoffs, and that was exactly my point, that I feel like whoever um, wins that game might go <laughs> and upset KC and and might have a run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they yeah. both have the upside. It's just can they not suck for three games in a row, I guess. Right. Hey, man. Uh well, I mean, I'm sorry for ruining your programming. Um, no, you 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 nailed it. I, I love the take. <laughs> we're we're in sync there. We appreciate your time, and uh, we we look forward to talking more draft, maybe in in some more detail next week. But until then, have a good one, man. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, we are getting pressed for time here, and we were going to do the Hot Read Heat Index today. 
We've decided to call an audible mid-show. We're going to push it to Monday, so make sure to listen to Monday's show. We've still got your takes on the internet that we've assembled. I'm pretty positive unless something crazy happens this weekend, which it's the NFL, you never know. But as long as something crazy doesn't happen, I think these things will all be relevant still on Monday. So we're going to talk about that on Monday. The Hot Read Heat Index Part 3 will be here on Monday. We're going to skip right into my favorite segment each and every week, the last segment of the week, the Best Bet Gauntlet. So I won the regular season Best Bet Gauntlet, the main gauntlet in the regular season that ended last week. I won by a game and a half, edging out JT. I led wire to wire, big season for your boy. But we want to keep betting, and we love it, and the playoffs are a great time to bet. So we're going to do that throughout the playoffs. We'll keep the Best Bet Gauntlet going. So what we've decided to do for the Best Bet Gauntlet throughout the playoffs is we're going to do a playoff Best Bet Gauntlet pick six. It's not going to be a competition. JT and I are putting our heads together. Two heads, by the way, that came up with a season-long 10 picks a, a week that resulted in over 500 on the season. So we've been doing pretty well this year. We're going to put our heads together and pick our six favorite bets, side, total, prop, whatever it may be, in the playoff slate each week for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to hand them out and see how we do throughout the NFL playoffs. Today, we've decided on three sides and three props. Didn't love any of the totals. We're going to talk you through real quick what our picks this week are. Hopefully, you can bet with us, ride with us, or maybe fade us if you think that our hot streak has come to an end. Either way, we want to hear what your favorite bets are on social media, so hit us up. Our first pick is the easiest one that we had to make, and it's Tampa Bay plus two and a half. A bummer we can't get the three, the full field goal, but um, we both like Tampa to win the game outright against the Dallas Cowboys. I think that Tom Brady is going to extend his winning streak over the Cowboys. He's never once lost to them in his entire career. They just really seem to have their number as a team. I think the Cowboys have faded down the stretch. I think Dak is really fading um, and maybe is being unmasked as not quite the passer he previously was thought to be. I think that Tampa wins this one outright, so I'll gladly take Tampa plus two and a half. Our second pick here in this six picks that we got for you today, um, we're going to take Buffalo minus 13 and a half here. And I know you're saying it's the biggest total all week, but just look at last week where Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins couldn't even score a touchdown against the Jets. And even though their defense is good, guess who else has a really good defense in Buffalo? They have to go to Buffalo and they're playing a team that just like last year in the first round is beat up on their divisional opponent. Last year, the Bills absolutely killed the Patriots last year by over two touchdowns. I'm expecting a lot of the same here in this game, and I just don't think they can put any points up. So we also have a lot of Sharps who are putting projections at like 18 and a half, all the way up to 20 and a half lines on this game. So 13 and a half, I'm very comfortable with that. And we're going to take that one as part of our six picks. With a third pick six, I've got, speaking of Tom Brady, we're going to go with Tom Brady under 42 and a half pass attempts. Now, this one can be kind of scary because in the last couple of weeks that he played full games this season, he was throwing the ball 45 to 50 times a day. But if you go back and you look in the very beginning of the year, the Cowboys played the Buccaneers and the Cowboys lost that game 19 to 3. Tom Brady won with only 27 pass attempts. I think this is a game 
where the Bucks really lean on their defense and their run game. I don't think that Tom Brady is going to have to throw the ball all over the yard all day long and get 50 attempts to win the game. I think they do it on the ground and make it a dirty, mucked up game. And I like Brady to throw the ball really probably under 40 times. Our fourth pick here, I believe fourth, yeah, fourth yeah, pick fourth. in our pick six here. We're going to take our final side, which is Baltimore plus nine and a half. As much yep. as it pains me to say it here, this game scares me a little bit. It's one of these, again, where you can look the total over seven in a low total game, 40 and a half. You can get a line over seven. The underdog it. usually covers. And in this <laughs> game, once again, I feel like it's going to be a rematch where that Baltimore defense adjusts. Also, they play a lot of zone defense, which when Joe Burrow played the Ravens two times this year against that zone defense, he only had a QBR of 15. Not it's, Once again, it's hit or miss, and I think this yeah. game's going to be a lot closer than it's right now. I'm going to take Baltimore plus nine and a half. No, and I love that pick simply because last week the Ravens punted on that game plan. They're saving all their bells and whistles and tricks in their bag for this game. They're going to try to make it as dirty a game as possible and, again, really muck it up. I I think it'll be low scoring, and I think that Baltimore will cover but probably still lose. With our fifth pick, our second prop, I'm going – we're just going to stick with the pass attempts train here. Going over to the Jacksonville – I almost said San Diego – Los Angeles Chargers game. Give me Justin Herbert to – throw for over 37 and a half pass attempts in this game. Here's the rationale. I think this is going to be a close game down to the wire. I don't think that the Chargers are going to be in a position where they're up comfortably throughout the game and they can just run the ball and run the clock. I think that Herbert's going to have to pass the ball a good bit. And if you look at his attempts throughout this past season, he's regularly thrown the ball over 43 43 or more times. But in particular, you go and you look at the Chargers-Jacksonville game from week three. And in that game, Herbert had to throw the ball in a losing effort 45 times. I think that it probably happens again. Not necessarily a losing effort, but another game where he's having to sling the ball all around the yard. The Jags do have a pretty good run defense. That's going to keep Austin Eckler at bay. I think that Herbert over 37 and a half pass attempts is pretty comfortable. I think that he throws the ball at least 40 times. Final pick here in the pick six. We're going to go with Joe Mixon under 85 rushing and receiving yards combined there. Look, with this Bengals offensive line being banged up just like it was last playoffs with Alex Kappa being unsure and LC not here for the run, the Bengals aren't going to be able to run the ball as effective as they have in past games. You just look at last week where the Joe Mixon ran 11 times for 27 yards. Against the same a, defense, by the way. Against the same defense, 2.45 yards per carry. He's going to look to see a lot more of the same in this one, not to mention a lot of his receiving snaps have been gobbled up by Samaje Ryan, who has looked very good in that role. So that's why I feel very confident about Joe Mixon having a little bit of a down day. All right, so in review, the best bet gauntlet, playoff pick six. Our six picks that we want you to bet along with us this week. Three sides, Tampa plus two and a half, the Bills minus 13 and a half, and the Ravens plus nine and a half. And then a couple of props. We've got Joe Mixon under 85 combined rushing and receiving yards. Justin Herbert over 37 and a half pass attempts and Tom Brady under 42 and a half pass attempts. That's what we're rolling with. Hopefully you ride along with us. And with that, JT, we are at the end of this monster, monster episode. Two episodes this week were monstrous. 
monstrosities. They were <laughs> they've broken my ability to speak. Obviously, um, if this becomes a regular thing down the down the off season stretch, we might even have to expand to a third show just to spread some things out. We'll explore that option if we keep having to put out these hour and a half episodes. If you're stuck with us to the end, we appreciate you so much. Give me one more minute of your time real quick. All of the things. Go become a Broadway insider. You can listen to this show live and interact during the live tapings. If you want to go over and subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and a review, that is super helpful to us and our ability to sell the show, which we're going to be looking to do this spring. So if you are an employee or a business owner in the Middle Tennessee, Tennessee area that thinks your business or your product would be a great partner to advertise with us. We've got a ton of advertisement opportunities on this show, on other Broadway podcasts, on broadwaysportsmedia.com. All of those things, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Reach out to us via email. You can find that on broadwaysportsmedia.com or you can reach out to us via social media, wherever you find yours truly. We would also love, by the way, just to elaborate, if you leave a rating and a review, we will read that out on the show, on air. We will follow you if you leave your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle or whatever. We'll shout it out to our hundreds of followers. So, Please do that. We appreciate your reviews. We appreciate your subscriptions. We appreciate your time. And until then, we appreciate everybody and hope you have a fantastic Super Wildcard weekend. Have a great couple of days. We will be back first thing Monday morning to recap all of the action. For Producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you next week.